here. We are here. Well, welcome in. We are starting a new podcast, and you are our first person on the podcast, front row, with the Utah Jazz. And I think it's really important because we're just talking about you have to evolve as an owner and be able to connect with the fans in lots of different ways. What does a podcast help you do as far as connecting with the fans? So first, Holly, like, thanks for doing this, right? I think this is part of Jazz Plus. It's part of a broader movement, but um, we're grateful. We're so grateful to have you as part of the organization. I remember when this idea came up. I mean, it's, first of all, it's been something that's on the table for like two years. I just think that we have a lot more to share as an organization. We want to connect more with the fans. Um, being a fan growing up, it's kind of like just saying, hey, what, what do I wish I would have known? And then how do we have a regular cadence where we can connect in different ways? Um, I listen to pods all the time when I work out or when I'm around or I'm driving. And um, it's actually a really cool way to, to basically communicate and tell stories about what's going on. And I think movies or docu-series are that way. I think um, the, the, the problem is and the challenge is I think a little bit of our traditional way of doing things um, hasn't really adapted to the way our fan base wants to be interacted with. And so I think that this is a great step forward and um, our fans are everything. And I think they should get a chance to hear from what's going on in the front office, what's going on with Danny and Will. And um, the fact that we're doing this is, is a pretty cool next step. I think people like podcasts and like doing things like this because they like people. People are interested in other people. And yeah. so as I'm working in the jazz organization the last two years, I'm very curious about you. It, you have a very interesting story. And I don't know if a lot of people have heard your story outside of I've been Googling commencement speeches you gave at the Marriott Business School, you know, things like that. I, I want to get into some personal things about who you are and what makes you unique. Is that cool? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've told it a million times, as anyone does with their story. But, hey, if you say so, we're in. Okay. I, nothing's off limits. So I'm always curious about successful people and what makes them successful. Um, I know some of the reasons that I've had success in my life, and I think a lot of it stems to childhood and how you were raised and how you viewed hard work and what was important to you as a kid and what your parents um, instilled in you. You told a story about your, your dad was a professor and your mother getting her PhD with five children at home under the age of 12 or 13. I want to know what the household was like. How did you grow up and what was important to you and your family? Yeah, I mean, both my parents worked. I, I don't remember a time where my mother wasn't working till 5 p.m., like growing up. And then later in life, she decided that she wanted to kind of test her entrepreneurial genes and like start a scrapbook company. Um, you know, right around the time I was in high school and ended up being really successful, which is kind of crazy in the 40s to go do that, like in your 40s to say, hey, I'm going to leave this career path and, and go do something else. That was a big risk. And so um, we grew up, there were there were five kids all within two years of each other. Um, I don't think we weren't super poor, although we didn't have like a bunch of discretionary money for, for really anything being in academia. But um, my parents taught us that we had to work from a young age. I remember, you know, my parents, I remember the beginning of a summer, I think I was 12 years old and my mom drove us all down to downtown Provo and dropped four boys out of the car and said, you're not coming back until you get jobs. 
and it was like ready break here we are and like my one brother ended up you know getting a job at 14 at a dry cleaners and then ended up buying the dry cleaners and starting a bike shop there my other brother um ended up working at the other dry cleaners um i actually my first job ended up being at the golf course picking up golf balls uh and then i think one of my other brothers ended up like cleaning horse stalls out and that was just who we were like we had to pay for our own school clothes we had to do stuff like that and um you know we you know i i felt i always felt loved by my family i think that was an unbelievable um moment like education was like something that was really stressed in our family um which is weird because i think only two of us ever went to school or three of us ever went to went to college uh two just became entrepreneurs um but if you needed something um in the smith house you had to go get it and that was a little bit of of who we were um and i think my dad if you if you look on kind of the spectrum my dad's a, a kind of a hardcore scientist who you would think of like data researcher academia a little more introverted my mother was like very much like out there gregorious and like the kids are born somewhere along that line um but i i just feel super grateful for for my upbringing um even though it all wasn't easy and a lot happened but it's like feel super grateful for parents who both loved us it seems interesting because it seems like you've taken some of the good pieces of both your parents you know mom entrepreneurial spirit building her own company you ended up doing that one other part of your background i dug into that i was fascinated by is on the outside looking in you see people who've been successful and you think they must have done every single thing right in their life you were not a perfect kid what what was your moment of i've got to get my life together and and change some of my life to become who you are yeah i don't i mean i don't think that anything about my upbringing was probably perfect i think um if i look at um probably the the beginning i think my parents split up when i was 13 it was a pretty crazy time and it kind of like my world was rocked in a way that I really didn't care about any of the other outcomes. Typically, you cared about what you got in school. You cared about your grades. And at that point, the future kind of wasn't really that important to me. And and I just couldn't see beyond the issues. And so I ended up dropping out of high school. Um, I think I had like a one-point-something GPA in high school. Um, and just really didn't care. And I, I actually had an uncle kind of put his arm around me and said, hey, you're not going down like this, man. Like you're not living this life. Um, and just, if you're not going to go to school, that's fine, but come work with me. And there was a young tech company that they had. And while working there in the mail room, um, I met a bunch of these older gentlemen who kind of had their life together. They all kind of just kind of brought me in and, and one of them had come back from Seoul, Korea and had taught English and said, you should go over and do that. Like, you're up to no good here. There's nothing good that's gonna happen. I know who you're running with. I know how the world's going. And I went to my dad one day, I was like, oh, I'm going to Seoul, Korea. And he's like, you're not going to Seoul, Korea. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Seoul, Korea. And he said, well, if you can get enough money to pay for it, then you can go. And um, I ended up doing that. I ended up actually taking a test to graduate high school 
and it took like three months to make up two years. And so like, I kind of had a moment where I was like, if I actually put my mind to this, my ideas are good and I can do it. I just been in a really bad spot in, um, and the future didn't look that bright. And so I ended up going over to Seoul, Korea. And that's kind of where a turning point in my life happened. You know, trauma as children, we talk about it a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm working through my own. It, it's it's hard. And that yeah. seems like that was a big turning point in your life of, I don't care about anything until you did care about something. And that all happened. I, I listened to this story of you going to Seoul, Korea. You had a job lined up. You had housing lined up. And you get over there. You're across the world. How old are you? I'm 17 years old. And what happens next? I was with two of my friends and basically nothing was going right. And, you know, I remember we, we had no job. We'd stayed in this little hotel for like seven days. We were running out of money. And I remember we all called our parents to get us out of there. My dad was like, I'm not, you're not coming home, figure it out. And they all went home and I watched my kid, my friends leave. So here I am 17 in the middle of Seoul, Korea. And the boat was burned. No job, no housing. No job, little money. And, and I had a contact. I mean, that was like, it was like, I got a contact. I've got someone who speaks English and ended up really working with them to, to try to find a job. I ended up getting a job at $10 an hour or which was the equivalent, which wasn't very good there, but, um, founding, finding a place to sleep. I was so homesick. I was calling my parents like, and, you know, I think from their standpoint, it's like, okay, look, like, you know, Seoul's a reasonably safe city, like from a crime standpoint, but there's a lot of other stuff there. And they were just like, look, there's only up for Ryan to go. He's already found his spot down. Like this is going to teach him to go up. And my dad like did something that I don't think I as a parent have what it would take to do is like really truly let your kid fail in a big way. Um, but I ended up being super fortunate. I ended up moving in after three months with a bunch of kids that I had met from Utah and my whole experience changed. So I kind of had like one experience where I was hanging out with people that were probably similar to what I was doing here. And like life was on that same trajectory over there. And then I switched and I was like, wait a minute, this is happier. This is better. And like from that moment on, I like decided like, I don't want that. Like, like I want, I want to aspire to be more and I want to do something else. And it was like, it was like this six month period where I truly had tasted like both worlds. And that was a huge turning point for, point for me. And, um, then I, I finished up. I, I, I was really successful um, in Seoul. Um, I had a bunch of ideas in my head and I was able to implement them and then see if they would work. And I had like three or four wins and I was like, wow, like I have good ideas and I'm actually a pretty hard worker. Um, and it just kind of started coming out. I started finding gears that I didn't know I had as a kid. Um, turned 18, um, and then decided I want to, I wanted to serve a mission, which was a surprise to everyone. Um, and, um, then life really kind of started from that point on. So, um, from a trajectory standpoint, going from like 18 to 21, like that was like where I got on a different path. 
So it sounds like the things you found in yourself during this time are what drives you right now with the Utah Jazz. And I'm fascinated by it because it's resilience, it's good ideas, and it's a great work ethic and following through with things. So now you you fast forward and you've had success in business. I know it didn't come overnight. What, what were some of the times that were hard in your Qualtrics journey um, to become who you are that allowed you to be in a position to buy the Utah Jazz? Yeah, I mean, we started in 2002. Um, started in my parents' basement. Uh, was not, I mean, we were actually there because my father had cancer. I had dropped out of school to to hang out with him or taking a semester off. And we, instead of fixing up a car together, we kind of worked at this tech company. Um, I previously had done some, some internet stuff where I figured out how to like do demos and sell and, and really work with software. And I saw what he was working on and just naturally the light bulb went off and we kind of divided up that way. Just like, Hey, you make sure the code's right. I'll make sure the business is right. And I had a lot more energy. I was coming in, obviously, naturally as a young kid who didn't know that much. And um, we stayed in the basement for five or six years. No venture capital. We actually ended up operating for 10 years without venture capital. Um, we finally moved out of my, my dad took a, a Fulbright or a job over in Moldova. And um, I kind of had the business. And me and another co-founder, we moved out and then 2006, seven, eight happened. So here we are with close to a hundred employees, no venture capital, moving out of the basement and which was the biggest move we have ever made. And we go into, you know, one of the worst economic environments that, that we've ever been through or seen um, it, from, from a, you know, a banking standpoint and other things. I mean, way worse than today. And, um, having to operate through that and having to like wake up every day and just like show grit and say, we're, we're on the hook for all of these individuals and we're trying to grow something and our competitors have venture capital and they've got better products and more engineers and they're actually cheaper. So here we are with a more expensive product that's not as good as what they've got and we're not venture backed and they're getting their name out there. Um, it was really us against the world. And it was that way for 20 years. I mean, this is, I'm in my 22nd or 23rd year with Qualtrics. Like, it's been us against the world the whole time, not only being in Utah, trying to get venture capital in Utah um, in 2012. Like, that, that wasn't a thing. Um, going public in Utah, that hadn't happened. Recruiting people to Utah. Um, we just got really comfortable being in that spot that no one was going to bail us out. We had to do it. Um, it was going to be hard and you've got to get a good night's sleep and wake up and do it again. And you start early and you go and the doors are all going to be shut and your job's not to be blocked by them and try to get around and, and make sure they open and slow and steady is going to win the race. And that's how I would describe like this 22 year journey because no one in the beginning thought surveys would be a thing. No one thought that you could target the academic market. No one thought that we could raise um, venture capital from the Yankees and the Red Sox with Sequoia Excel in Provo, Utah. No one thought that we could IPO or grow and scale that space to what it was. Um, we, we sold in the largest private enterprise transaction ever anywhere in the world 
let alone Provo, Utah. And then everyone thought the ride was over. And then we actually spun it out, went public. And then everyone thought the ride was over. And then we just were acquired by Silver Lake, who also owns Endeavor and UFC and all of that. Um, and so I think I think the commonality is like, you, you've just got to believe in what you're going to do and know that there's going to be a bunch of friction on the way and nothing good's going to happen until you get through it. So this 17-year-old in Seoul, Korea, who finds a way to survive, this 22-year-old in Provo, Utah, finds a way to thrive. How are you now um, in love with basketball? And where does this piece come in of like, you know what, I love basketball. Maybe I'll buy the Utah Jazz. We, we've got these themes that we have, like we have a, we have a theme here, the jazz all in. And that, that also came from Qualtrics and it became one of our things throughout the history. Um, I've always loved hoops. And, um, I feel like the NBA has been on this amazing like trajectory. And if you actually think as I've grown up, I've kind of been in the perfect part of that trajectory. Um, Danny, um, you know, if you hear Danny talk about when he was getting drafted out of college, it wasn't that same trajectory. There were like four teams you'd want to be drafted to and the rest were a little sketchy, right? So like, you know, and that's why he went and played baseball and he'll go through all that, I'm sure. But um, I've just had this amazing love affair with basketball and I like it. Um, when you're on the court, you can't think about anything else. Um, the more I dig in, the more passionate I am. Um, and during the 22 years, I didn't do anything else. I didn't sit on boards. I didn't do investments. I didn't do a bunch of real estate. Um, we had to go all in on Qualtrics to get to, to where it was. I mean, it was single focused for a decade or two. Um, and I think it's actually why we were successful. There was no other game. There was no other off-ramp. There was no other thing that was taking our minds away. Um, the only thing that intrigued me in that time was going to hang out with DA. and Danny Ainge. And I'd play golf. Yep. And I'd want to know more and more about his world. Ah, and the intrigue. The intrigue. I was so intrigued at the game that he was playing. And... The more I dug in, the more we hung out, the more we talked, the more I, I was like, whoa. And it was all coming from a Celtic standpoint. Um, but it was also, so it's, it's basketball, which you've loved, that you're a fan of, but it's big business. You know, I'm looking at these new NBA valuations that have yeah. come out, and they're in the billion dollar, you know, $60 billion ranges, and, and teams are big businesses. So is there part of you that's intrigued by both sides of that? I think, I think... I got, I was intrigued on that side. There wasn't a whole lot of business acumen or business talk. It was more strategy, which I love. Um, it was team building, which I resonated with. If I look back and say, hey, what did you do at Qualtrics? We built teams. That's what we did. We built teams for 20 years. They could go do things that no one thought we could ever do and that the team itself didn't think we could ever do. Um, and by the way, the teams always performed better than any individual contribution. And so we talk a lot now about individual productivity and work, and that's great. But our individual productivity of Qualtrics individually 
no one would have thought we got to where we could. But when we got together as a team, like it was a multiplier of what we could do if it was gelling. And so... This sounds like what the Utah Jazz can and will and should build, right? It's this what gave we're me a working on. Chill like, up my yeah. spine like this sounds so, familiar. So, so that's the part of this that I'm incredibly familiar with. And it's the part that Danny and I connected on, you know, on, on teams and why, why certain players and why not. And, you know, he's a big brain typer and like how it all fits. And, um, and then when Five for the Fight came along and we had a chance to sponsor the jersey patch first team with the jersey patch that went to charity that went to charity i was able to see the community aspect of like whoa wait a minute the nba is this incredible platform to bring people together i always knew as fans and with jazz like that it was great to bring us all together um just light bulbs and ideas kept going off because you know when you start a charity or foundation especially when you're a corporation like a qualtrics like it's hard to get other people to to jump on board. We have this idea that if it's not invented here, which means if our organization doesn't invent it, we don't do it. Like when, when Warren Buffett went and gave his money to Bill Gates to go do charity in Africa, that was weird. That does not happen that often. Um, but to actually create something and give it to the community and watch everyone rally around basketball and ultimately raise $50 million, like it, and then work so hard at trying to build Utah for so long. I was like, wait a minute, this, this platform is way bigger than basketball. Um, but you can also win a basketball, which is the funnest thing in the world. Right. So like it's all the good, things all the good together, thing all and the, the strategy. Things. And I was like, Hey, this is, this is cool. And so that's where this idea came. I have 7,000 follow-up points that I want to get to. That That's hard to wrap my head around yeah. because there's a lot of follow-up points there. I'm going to start with this one. You talk a lot about Utah. You're super passionate about Utah. Um, I have been a Utahn out in the world. You know, I've worked with ESPN for 30 years. I'm an almost 4 million miler with Delta right now. I have traveled everywhere in the world. And I always get asked the same two questions about Utah. The first thing that people say to me when they find out I'm from Utah, are you Mormon? And how many husbands do you have? Or, or how many wives does your husband have? And I'm so tired of that being the only questions I get asked about Utah. I'm exhausted with the questions about Utah like that. What is your experience about being a Utah out in the world been like? And how are we and you trying to reframe what people think of when they hear the word Utah? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I think um, it's one that every Utah resonates with. Whether they believe it or not, like they all know it. That's why we're so proud and with such a visceral reaction when people like give Utah props. Like we celebrate it more than anything. Like like we're surprised. Right. So okay, so Pat McAfee, who's like this big national yeah. media personality right now, he's he was here for game day for ESPN. He comes to the game. And he's like singing the praises of Utah. Yeah. We're all just like, yes, this guy that's cool thinks we're cool. Well, why are we like this? Well, I, I think it starts internally. Like we've got to wake up and say, no, we're proud of what we have. And we're deserving to win in this state because of who we are. And we've got to stop internally. Like we've got to get out of that. I choose to live here. 
I can live anywhere. My wife's from Las Vegas. Like, I have family all over. You could be I, anywhere in the world. Anywhere and in the world. Be I here. choose to live here. My, here. my mother is from Los Altos, California. My father grew up in Washington. Um, all beautiful places. You all be beautiful places. I want to be here. Why? Danny wants to be here. Why? Justin Zanuck wants to be here. Will Hardy wants to be here. We, because it's different. It's special. Um, it's easy. It's friendly. As Pat McAfee said, everyone is so nice. It's our people. I love the it, pe people in Utah it, are the best. I've never met. I won't say never. Most people from Utah are absolutely amazing. Yeah. And everyone's yes. got their crazies. Yes. Like that's yes. part of it. That's actually what keeps you on your toes. Yes. Right. But we have less crazies. Like yes. Danny always makes a conver uh, uh, Danny always says like, he's got this line. Don't underestimate how screwed up the other team is. Oh, right. Like I like our team. Right. I like where we're at. Now we have a long way to go and we're pushing some of that, but let, let's go back to the jazz in Utah. Um, when we took over the team, we had taken this down and Ash and I kind of made a decision. It's like, okay, who do we want to do this with? Who do we want to do this with? Um, we know our passion for Utah and, and look, I hear it all. It's like, Ryan's going to move the, that was the big thing. He's going to move the team. He's going to move out. I was like, they don't know me. Like I'm more passionate about Utah. You'd be than, more, more like, I, I would have moved Qualtrics. Yeah. I would have moved our event. <laughs> I would have moved like yeah. we, we, we had this whole thing. I have this picture in my office where we have, um, university day at Qualtrics. And it was this picture with everyone wearing all of their university jerseys. And it was this moment where we decided that we needed to recruit not out of the Utah and BYU. We were going to go get everyone from all over and move them here. And our pitch was, look, if you're living in Ann Arbor or Princeton, New Jersey, or Harvard or Penn, you're going to love Provo. And it worked. It's way more beautiful than any and of those worked. places you mentioned. Yeah. And to see everyone there. And so, like, that's the passion we have. So when it came to doing the jazz, it was like, who do you want to do it with? Who do you want to do it with? And my first phone call was to Ryan Sweeney. Ryan Sweeney um, is at Excel Partners. We're, we're the same age. He has the same values. He's a Notre Dame grad who played baseball there and then went to Harvard Business School. His wife went to Harvard Law. They raised their kids in California. He started Excel Partners. They had given Facebook their first money. They had invested in all these companies. And he flew out to see me, came to a BYU basketball game, and said, I'm in on you and I'm in on Utah. And he wrote our first check, our second check, our third check, and he backed us the whole way. And he loved you. He wasn't afraid to not back companies that were in that little peninsula there in California. And he came in. So I called Ryan and said, we just sold the company. I called Ryan and said, hey, I want to do an NBA team. This is what's going on. Um, I know we're not working together anymore because we sold. And that was an emotional time. Let's work together again on this. And he's like, I'm in. All in. All in. And he's like, I'm in. 
It's totally out of my purview. This is him personally coming in. Then I had another friend, Mike Cannon Brooks, who we grew up for with in tech. He's in Australia. Loved hoops, loved coming to games. Um, loved Joe Ingles, loved, just loved it. But he would always come out and ski with us in Utah. And Sweeney and I were like, well, who else do we want to do it? Who else loves Utah like we do that's not from here? And we thought, wow, like Cannon Brooks runs the biggest tech company in Australia. He would love it and call them. He's like, I'm in. And so we closed the transaction. And that, that never happens that way. Most people are like, hey, what's the group? So we come in and I was like, I'm with, we're all the same age. I'm with, I'm with two of my friends. Obviously, Ash and I are, are here and doing it, but it's great to have people that you like. And by the way, these are two extremely smart people. And we're putting the team together. That's what we're doing. There's no extra points for going alone. We're putting the team together. And then I get a call from a great friend of mine, um, Clark Miyasaki. And Clark calls me and is like, hey, D. Wade is looking at Minnesota. They want him in their ownership group. I know you looked at Minnesota. Will you talk to him? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know D. and we'll, we'll talk. And I think that as we started talking, I was like, I got a crazy idea. We've already closed our transaction. The game's locked. And I was like, I got a crazy idea. So I called Sweeney. I was like, why don't, why shouldn't D Wade be with us? Everything he does, like he wins that he's a champion and championship DNA with your group matters. And so I fly down and I sit down with Dwayne and I'm like, I'm at least 50% sure this is a good idea. And what was his first reaction? Utah. And I was like, yeah, exactly. His first reaction is like, huh? That's exactly why, Dwayne. That's exactly why Utah. Because that's your first reaction. And he's like, and then we all started jiving and he's like, I can't, he couldn't unsee it. And then we, we were looking, I think we were all interested. And I just said, we're not doing anything until you come up. I remember picking him up at the airport. And we went on like the ultimate prom date. Like I drove him around for literally six hours. What were some of your stops, Steve? Oh, we, we stopped in Provo. We, we went, we ate, we came up here. We went up to Park City. We did the whole loop. I like, I wanted to see him all. And I'll never forget his reaction when he went from, from Salt Lake and 30 minutes to Park City. He's like, I feel like I just went to a different country. And like just explaining what matters because he needed to understand who, who we were and, and how he could fit in and what, what he could contribute. And then as, as we got down to it, is like you look at the team, it wasn't that he was coming in as an ambassador or something. It's like, no, you're an owner. It doesn't matter. Like, we don't operate where we look at different percentages and like, I'm the governor and this and that. Like, Ash and I control this team. We own the majority. We don't operate that way. You're all together. We're a team. Like, it's okay. And so um, that's how we put that, that group together. And it, 
it was important to me to have people outside of, of Utah who also believed in Utah. How long did it take for him to see the vision or how to, to kind of buy in and be like, I, I see what you're trying to do and I'm in. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear. Um, and it's not like we're, we, we have this goal that we're like trying to make Utah cool. We have a goal that we're trying to show everyone what Utah is. What we already are. What we already are. Well, the, the jazz, in my opinion, you know, and I, I talk about this a lot. I think sports can be the front porch of the house. And, and I, I literally was in a, a Moody's fish house in Santorini, Greece, and my taxi driver taking me to a Moody's fish house, this little tiny bay across the world, said, where are you from? I say, Utah. Ah, Utah jazz. Utah yeah. jazz. And he goes to, to talk about Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And you might not know anything else about Utah, but the Utah jazz brand is known worldwide. The Philippines, Jordan Clarkson is a yes. huge star in the Philippines. So the front porch of the of the state is now under your your control. You you own the front porch of this house. So what do you do with it? What's important to you to do with it? Yeah, I, and, and look, I I think anytime you're getting into that part of the business, it's hard, right? Because you've got to you've got to draw. And I think I think I think we need to just not talk as much and show. And I think All Star was a good example of that. I don't know anyone who came to All-Star who hasn't been like that was amazing from the outside. And I think we just want to show our highlights like everyone else does. And there's so much here and there's so much growth. There's a reason why people are coming here. And we don't, we don't, it's funny because we're not trying to recruit more people here. Like we're good. Like. We have it. I just think that there's a brand, little bit of a branding issue and um, we can do a better job at telling our story. And I think there's no silver bullet here. I think it's just stacking moments and what you do with those moments. All-Star was one of those moments. I talked about the Olympics coming. Okay, great. The Olympics are coming. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? We're going to make it awesome because the last Olympics here were awesome. Yeah. Was, that was 30 years ago. What does new school Olympics look like? Even better. I Exactly. Awesome. Right. And so we have those moments and that's where like Dwayne is so good at that. Like mm -hmm. we had, we were just here for three days. It, like he's so amazing at that. He, he's an awesome person, by the way. I've gotten to know him a little bit through the WNBA. He's big time into the WNBA he's, now. He's one of one. He's one of one. I, I really admire him. But I want to say this. Um, I've grown up in Utah my whole life. I'm yeah. from Utah. But I'm also the mother of a biracial child. And some of the stuff that's happened around the Utah Jazz, you know, we had that incident that I was really proud of, Gail Miller, how she handled that. And it was really important to me as a Utah that you brought in Dwayne Wade, who doesn't look like everybody in Utah, who has his own worldview and all his own experiences, and that he was willing to come in and say, Utah, we can do better from a race relations standpoint, from an empowering the black people in our community standpoint. And you've really empowered people in your own organization. This Utah Jazz, if we take a team photo, 
we look a lot different than any corporation in Utah ever has. Why has that piece been so important for Utah and the Utah Jazz? Because it matters to me. Because I think you learn two ways. You learn by talking and you learn by showing. And um, we we like to share a lot on social as, as human beings and say we're passionate about these projects. But I, I've just learned in my career is like, just do it. And leave and leave just do it. Yes. And you know, it's it's interesting because I don't even keep keep track of like there's there's no stats here. We're not trying to to do anything. I remember I remember it when we started Qualtrics, we had no um women in tech in Utah. Like zero. And that was a hard challenge because we were taking out like half the playing field of who we could recruit. And there was not, I mean, success breeds success. And the problem was, is who we were hiring and who we were moving here were people who had kind of fallen in this, um, this bias. So it was hard to get women in tech to move here. And we never gave up. We did everything we could to attract working mothers and folks who, who could actually contribute. And if I look at where our state is, we have so far to go. But if I look at that work and how it's happened, we are so much better because of it. We are so much better. Like I've got three daughters and I'm sitting here going, holy cow, like they don't see what we did 20 years ago. And then you look at what's happening on blogging and you look at, um, all the innovation and the entrepreneurship in the state from women, like this stuff works, it matters. And we're still in a state where we're in growth mode, which means you can actually build it out. And um, I think I think as a jazz, we're a better organization than we were last year. And hopefully we'll be a better organization next year. And it's all about the people that you bring in. Um, and the cool part is, is like Dwayne's as good of a business mind as any of us. He's got his finger in so many businesses. It, and and I, I just want to pick his brain about it because he's good at it. And he's his ability to market. And it's really cool. I mean, I, I was just with like, I it, it's interesting. Like we we were together in um, last week and um, we'd had a conversation the day before and that night, um, I had to go to something. He's like, I, I was like, are you, are you good? He's like, yeah, I'm just going to go write. I was like, you're going to go write. And he's like, yeah, I, I've got scripts to read. I got all this stuff. And I show up the next day and he's got like, he hands me this book and he's got like this whole paragraph circled, which was the exact theme of what we were talking about yeah. just on the way to think and, and the way that he learns and he's in learning mode. And, um, so, so it makes it, it makes it fun. And I, I think um, it's not just the jazz, but most organizations are are really trying to to grow around here and try to bring in diverse thought. And um, and I think it, it makes us all better. I want to get to the jazz. You know, yep. people listening to this want to know more about the team and what you've got planned. Can we do some rapid fire yeah, of what's sure. coming up? And this won't be our only time talking to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? We're going to talk to you through the year and, 
and we are a platform. I, I really wanted a purple table and say you're coming to the purple table. Let's talk. do it. But we then I don't one. know if the red table had good connotation, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know if we're going That's, there. But it, it changes. I'm, I'm workshopping it. I'm workshopping yeah, yeah. it. Okay. Um, let's go some rapid fire. You've made a ton of rebranding. The jazz yeah. look different. They yeah. feel different tangibly. What are some rebranding things that you've done that you're really proud of? And what are some things coming up that you're like, people need yeah. to be excited about? So, this? So, so the thing I'm most proud of is we've identified that the node is a thing. I love it. Right. Yes. Like when we took over, like it was, it was like, okay, how do we have a signal? How do we have a sign? And in the note, was kind of sitting in there and very rarely, I mean, it's the closest thing to a swoosh that anyone has in the NBA. If you take most logos in the NBA and you take the words off it, you don't know what it is. People know what the note is. Mm. And that's, that's incredible. Um, I love the note upgrades out front of the Delta Center. It looks like a sculpture from Milan. It's been yeah. really redone in a beautiful and, way. And, you know, I think, I think that, um, you know, I've never, I've never seen Utah with so many designers. Right, because we have a lot of designers who love oh, the jerseys and, and everything. And I think by else. that you mean people on Twitter that are like happy yeah. or, or X, whatever we call it now. Yeah. They, they are not happy or they are happy or they blah blah blah. A lot yeah, of designers. Look, look, so I think I think from a branding standpoint, um, taking over the Jazz brand was super hard because if you're taking over the Celtics or the Bulls or something else, like they've had one basic color scheme their entire time, um, and ours is complicated. Um, to, to make that harder, the, the, the NBA, I mean, you saw Kyle Kuzma tweet out. He's like, what are we doing with all the jerseys? And I'll, I'll just say it. Like, we have so many jerseys coming at us, and anything you throw out there becomes almost like something that sticks forever. And it becomes part of your color palette. Whereas when a, when a brand's super disciplined, um, everything that's made fits within three or four colors and that's it. Right. And they're going to have to work with those. And so I think we know we love the purple. We like, we know we can authentically own the purple. We brought it back. I mean, um, what do you think about it? We got two jerseys um, this year. We've got three courts that are purple. Like it's part of it. The brand is much bigger than what we wear on the court. If you actually think about the jazz brand and the front porch and everything you're describing, like um, it's every billboard or every company should be able to activate the the jazz color. That is like truly what works. And so um, it's got to be bigger than that. We've got team store coming in the airport. We've got all of these oh, different awesome. things like that are going on and like what you're putting on the plane and everything. So we're working through that, but you're also constrained. It's not like we can go do whatever we want here. Because the NBA has some control of that. Your business has some your, yeah. all, all the things. Okay, I like the purple. And, and it's, it's the color of royalty. It, it harkens back to the original yeah. jazz color, which was part of a Mardi Gras color. Yep. There's lots of reasons to stick around that. Yeah. Okay, what are what are some things you wish you would have done differently? Like you're talking about the critics, right? There's yeah. some critics. Um, do you, anything you wish you could have changed? I think... I wish I would have, um, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think that you, you don't control, um, you know, the way they take the branding and like they throw it out. Like we have a design scheme that we like to use and the way we like to use things. And then it gets thrown out to 3000 different vendors and they just kind of do whatever they want. Um, you've really got a child proof that what I always tell everyone is this is an evolution. I come from a world where you evolve like every website we've done every, um, software that we've ever released has been 
part of an evolution. Like we, we tweak, we tweak. Yeah. You move you and you want to, you want to go on with it. And so like no one should ever take a snapshot of where we are. The good thing that I think we have right now is we've honed in on, Hey, there's a scope. Nothing goes outside that scope. Um, and so there's a lot that we love. Like I love the black and yellow. A lot of people love the black and yellow. I, we surveyed 3000 fans in arena and I'm not saying we have or haven't nailed the jerseys or this or that, but like if you're looking for this ownership group to run a perfect grace, we're, we're not. We're not going to tiptoe into a championship here in Utah. Like we're going to have to do a lot. And I know what it's like to be a fan. I know what it's like to be a fan first. I'm a fan first. No one wants it more than I do, I promise. Right? And I want it for everyone else. And I will take every ounce of capital that I have and every ounce of energy that I have to go win a championship for the state because it needs to happen. And um, I don't think we know how we're going to get there. I don't think we know when we're going to get there. But I think that all we can do is put the smartest team around us and have everyone all in on it and go as hard as we can. And, and it's going to require a little bit of patience on on some of it. But um, but the willingness to work towards it is important. Yeah, like if we wanted to just be a playoff team every year, that would be a totally different strategy. Totally different. Like we 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 already know that strategy, but and it's a not, great you're not strategy. With that. No, no, Danny's been to the champion the the finals ten times. He he's not getting younger. He wants to go back. I want to get to that. Why are you so competitive? And I think you've put people around you who are Dwayne Wade, Danny Ainge, Justin. You guys are all so competitive. How does that fuel this organization? And why are you competitive? I don't I don't know. There's days I wish that I wasn't this competitive. And um, I don't know. Like, you either kind of are or you aren't. Um, what got me close to DA in the first place was I'd play golf with him, and there was no one more competitive that I've ever played golf with in my life. Ever. It didn't. We didn't have to play for anything. It's the U.S. Open. And we were playing last week, and I was like, DA, why are – I know over the back of my shoulder, he's just waiting for me to mess up. We don't even know that we're playing against each other. We're in a group. And I know he's keeping score, trying to beat me. And he's got three rings. Danny or Dwayne's got three rings. Um, like we won it. We, they, they know what it feels like. I know what winning feels like. Like, trust me, like, we sit here, we talk. I talked to, I mean, we lost last night. I talked to Danny last night. I talked to him this morning. He's talking to Will. Like, we all want it. I feel and, that. And, like, I would I would bet on that long term, for sure. Okay, a couple other business things. The TV deal. Yeah. You are in a unique position. You sit on the Board of Governors for the NBA. You are the governor for the Jazz, which means you have the voting power when yep. things come up. Um, you're on the TV committee as well, though. Is What has been the reception to the new Utah Jazz broadcast and Jazz Plus and and – Give us a little Well, I think down. I think we'll have a in our next upcoming meeting, we'll have a lot. Um, I think the NBA is first of all blown away with the success of Jazz Plus. I mean, we're we're nearly fifteen thousand subscribers. Um, 
one weekend of the season. If you think about that, um, that's significantly more than any other team has, even after two years. Um, it, it's not even close. Good job, Jazz um, fans. Good job. Good job. And, and this is why I love, like, and and then if you look at what's happened with K-Jazz and you look at what's happening um, um, in, in Idaho and Washington and Wyoming, which is hard because I think that we had some blackout issues for – couple hundred people but we also engaged a million people that that came through and so those are hard trade-offs or I mean you got to try to make it right for everyone but um, I think early indicators showed that you know on average we probably did 20,000 households last year watching games um, or or we're definitely probably with streaming north of 75,000 already nice um, and I think that continues to pick up um, you know, I'd love to see us north of a hundred thousand plus easily, um, watching jazz games. Um, that hasn't been done in the NBA ever. And so I think that we have a chance to, to do more. And then, you know, as a, as a group, we're not stopping with basketball. Like when we're in sports, we're in sports, we're, we're going all in on, on SCG, um, Smith entertainment group and, and building that out. That's what, my partners and and friends are signed up for they're all in on utah we're making a lot of moves behind the scenes to prepare mm-hmm. um there's no you know all commissioners know where we are and they they see what we're doing and they know the team that we have together and like they're 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 interested okay my last question i have for you one thing that i'm uh, this was not a pre-prepared question but this theme has evolved as i've talked to you today when you call people and you call your friends, mm-hmm. people say yes to you. Why? You, you have a good reputation with the people in your life. That's interesting to me. And the fact that they say yes? Yeah. As We're going to go by this. We're going to go by this. And their first answer is yes to you. Like people believe in your visions for things. Um. Look, I don't think anyone's perfect in how they they operate, but like in the case of like Excel, um, I remember sitting down with them early on and saying, you know, you have a $350 million fund that you're investing out of. You're going to write a $70 million check to this group in Utah. I know this is hard for you, but, um, and then their next fund was a billion two that they had to write out. And I just remember sitting down with them saying, like, if you do this, we will return your entire fund. We will we will make that happen and we will die trying. Like if we don't like you can bet on us, you have my guarantee. And like nothing was better than the day that we returned their whole fund. And so like we're not perfect, but we're not afraid of hard things and we're not afraid of work. We're not afraid of being wrong. Um, and that's like, we're going to go and we, we almost don't know what it's going to take. Like when you're on a team and you're trying, I've I've heard Dwayne say this, when you're trying to win a championship, like you don't know what it's going to take to win that championship. You have to actually do more than the next group and you don't know what that's going to be it's a moving target and that's that's traditionally how the world works if you actually think about it um 
you know, you, we, we came into sports. I sat there with Ash and was like, we're doing this. Like, we, we thought we might have had a, a clue. And, uh, you know, and Gail's like, hey, I hope this is good for you guys as it was for my family. And I was like, what does that mean? And it's like, there's no way for her to share that. Like, I got to go find out. You like, have to live it. You have to go live it. And we don't know what it's going to take. We don't know what this is going to bring. But we have to just be all in and ready to go do whatever it's going to take. Um, but what helps every day is Utah and the people in Utah. Like, I love our fan base. I love how passionate people are. So when people want to talk about the jerseys and they want to talk about, you know, all of the different things, like it doesn't, I'm, I'm grateful. Because they care. Because they care. Like fans short for fanatics. Like we have fanatics. We, we want you. We want it yes. all. Like, and like, cause I know that no matter how they feel or whether they love me or hate me, when we're having a parade, they're going to be smiling. Everyone will be, we will be popping that sparkling cider. Yes, it yes. will be, it'll, Martinelli's will never have had such a, such a run in the Utah you, you market. Should, I'm serious about this. You know what you should do right now? You should buy a piece of Martinelli's and we should prepare for the day when we take Tr that entire market share. Tr trust me, like this stuff, I think about this stuff all the time. Like we almost did a, a welcome video, tribute video for Wessel Rustbrook the other night. Yeah. When he came and it would have said, it would have had like Woj's headline, Russell, Russell Westbrook traded to the Jazz. And then just Will's text to him, hey, let me know if you need anything. That was the experience. <laughs> like, oh we, we think about all this. Like, like, like we're, we're going to plan it. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We got, a, we got a long way to go. Um, and, and we also believe, like, I mean, the, the cool thing is, is I have 100% trust in Danny and Jay-Z and Will, who will be on this, because we're a team. No one's worried about their job. No one's worried about um, being right. They're worried about us getting it right as an organization. Mm. That's and, powerful. And there's no ego. You would think that Danny, with everything, there's no ego. He will, he will sit down. You will see this. The fans will see it. He'll talk to every fan. He just wants to win one. That's awesome. All right, I, I've got to let you go. This okay. is going to be the first of others, so right. anything we didn't get to, I promise we'll get. I, I wanted to get into the family, and yeah, I needed yeah. your meet cute with Ashley, so we'll have more. We'll get into that a little bit later, more business stuff as well. Yeah. But this was our first um, toe in the water for our front row, front office podcast. We appreciate Thank you, so much. you doing it. No, I'm excited. This is cool. I, I love learning about other people and why they've been successful. And my takeaway today is a 13 year old went through a trauma that changed his life, but he had to choose, he had to choose what version of himself he was going to be. And, and you chose a, a really amazing path for yours. I'm going to get emotional. It's awesome. That was a beautiful path you chose. Holly gave one of the most amazing talks ever at the hall of fame ceremony. And I was so grateful to be there. And I hope everyone can go find it and listen to it because she works harder and she just says yes and goes um and she's here because of all of that and it's amazing all right hey, hey we laughed we cried goodbye mic drop out <laughs>